0: This is Classic Business Breakfast with MoneyWeb. Arabile Gumede and Nastasia are on Classic 1027.
1: It's two minutes after seven. Welcome to it. It's Classic Business Breakfast with myself, Nastasia Aronsa. And, so, and Arabile Gumede is in studio with us with the cutest cup ever for Valentine's Day.
2: Yeah, it was a gift from a client. I'm, I'm not going to even claim it. You that. have to
1: it's- read the message. It it, says, well, the message on the cup, on the cup, a little cute message. It says,
2: You're perfect. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what to say. (laughs) Yeah, it was very weird. Nonetheless, guys, welcome to it. It is a a Friday morning indeed, and we're closing out the week. Friday, the 15th of February. I really hope you had a wonderful Valentine's Day yesterday back to business today and uh, we close out the week on classic business breakfast so tash so things coming up as well how do we get out of this economic dilemma some things we've asked ourselves so many times i don't know if anybody's got the crystal ball ability to find the future and just tell us do we get out of this and if so when so that i can just go into sort of a slumber until that point in time
1: or we can just (laughs) reboot south africa and start off like an even
2: better plan yep
1: so nonetheless, we're going to be talking to um, Kassatu, uh, rather not Kassatu, uh, NUM. That's one of the trade unions that have threatened to strike in protest at the unbundling of the utility that is ESCOM into three entities, generation, transmission and distribution. So we'll get the feedback uh, from Philip, who is the deputy president of Noom.
2: And we also then get to chat about those job cuts at Sebanya Stillwater. Now, it's a massive, massive job cut. Let's remember that this is a company that has that has been expanding quite ferociously. And now, having to cut back on five of its operations, nearly 7,000 jobs will be cut by Sebanya Stillwater. We'll unpack that around 7.30 uh, and get into what is happening at that company.
1: And then we speak to Takane Ladima, who's the co-founder of Nisa Finance. And that is for our entrepreneurship interview a little bit later on on the show. All that and more is coming up.
0: This is Classic Business. Breakfast with Money Web. Arabile Goumede and Nastasia Aransa on Classic 1027.
2: Well, the market picture of late has not been the most enterprising a pretty flat mix to market trading as well yesterday across the jsc those rand hedges getting an absolute battering as well as the south african currency was weakened quite significantly, so it gave up earlier gains. That's the JSE to close flat yesterday. Global markets also coming under pressure from disappointing United States data. Soft rand supported miners and red hedges as the local currency weakened above the psychological important 14 rand to the US dollar mark for the first time since early January. The currency's three month, uh, uh currency's three month implied volatility, which is of course a measure of risk. Rose to around 18%, again eclipsing Turkish Lira's 17.1%, making it the most risky and perhaps uh, the most uh, volatile currency in the world at present. So things not necessarily looking good on that front, despite what has been a long term uh, positive streak for South Africa's currency. The all share edging 0.03% lower to close at 54,527 points. Banks managed to fall 2%, food and drug retailers 2.1%, financials as well 1.54%. But the platinum stocks were able to add 2.89% by close of trade with gold miners moving higher there, 2.3%. Analysts also saying that a series of disappointing domestic data releases could put South Africa's growth forecast for 2019 at risk. Trade is expected to be cautious ahead of next week's budget policy statement as well. Right now, 14 rand and 14 cents against the US dollar. That's the state of the local currency. It's 15.96 for a euro, and a single quid will set you back 18 rand and 10 cents. Uh, taking out uh, Asia now, and the Nikkei index is sitting at uh, 20,879. It's down one and a quarter of a percent. Uh, three-quarters of a percent down is the Shanghai Composite, $2,700, and 27926 uh, 26, rather, is the Hang Seng. It's down one and three-quarters of a percent. It's $1,312 a fine ounce for gold. Platinum is sitting at $785. Brent crude, massive $65 a barrel.
0: Every morning, Arabile Gomede and Nastasia Aransa on Classic Business. Breakfast with MoneyWeb
1: seven minutes after seven and to talk more in-depthly on the markets is Gary Boyson is a portfolio manager at Rant Swiss. Gary, you heard Arabile, I suppose, give us a bit of a summary even uh, including the quid there. But uh, what was your assessment of yesterday's performance?
3: Yeah, I think uh, you were discussing it a little bit earlier off air. It was all about the currency movement. We've seen a, an absolutely massive depreciation uh, over the week. And it's, it's really, I mean, it's just lit a fire the the rand headstock. So we've seen, you know, like heavyweights, uh, the likes of Richmond, you know, trading through hundred rand a share. We've seen, you know, the likes of Mondi, even Naspec. I mean, Naspec has been a little bit more volatile. Um, but it's it's interesting to note that we've actually seen Tencent, you know, pushing up uh, in the overseas markets. But, uh, yeah, Nicepass is a little bit more subdued, even in in spite of the the, the rally that we've seen in the well, at least the, the the depreciation we've seen in the currencies. So, um, we've seen that discount in, uh, you know, some the t- the of the parts discounted in actually expanding to about 57% which is the largest we've seen in a, in a long time. Um, yesterday yeah so the the rand kind of steadily weakened over the day and it did seem to find its, it's uh, find a level at about that 14 14 level but uh, yeah, at at uh, three thirty yesterday, we actually had uh, uh, U.S. retail sales numbers come out, which missed expectations uh, quite significantly. So while we were kind of looking at the dollar dollar rand cross weakening, suddenly at about three thirty, where we thought we were getting a stabilisation, we actually saw the dollar starting to weaken, and the rand and the dollar just continued to weaken in tandem against against other currencies. So it, it really it was kind of what I'm saying is even even worse than what the picture paints in in that specific cross.
1: The fascinating thing about the U.S. retail figures, I mean, I was reading an article on the Wall Street Journal and there was even a comment where someone says the performance was so poor that some analysts questioned the report's accuracy. It's like they were definitely not expecting it, considering that the I suppose the labor figures that came out last year were fairly positive. So you would assume that would drive a lot more, I suppose, money in people's hands to spend.
3: Yes, again, it, it was it was a massive miss. It was, I say it was a massive miss, but it's uh, I suppose you always have to question a, a single data point. Uh, you know, especially when we've we've had just such a raft of positive uh, economic data coming out of the U.S. and everyone's looking at the the inversion of the, the, the 2 and the 10 year yield curve and and trying they, they're predicting a slowdown in, in US corporate earnings and they're predicting a you know recessionary conditions to start to bite in the US it's just the data has shown absolutely no indication of this until until the number that we got yesterday so uh, if I'm just pulling it up now we've you know the the expectation was for uh, positive growth of about 0.2 percent and they got a, a decline of 1.2 percent so you know when you know sure it's a, it's a swing and it mm-hmm. you, you expect volatility in a certain number but uh, it was it was a big miss. And, and so the the dollar which has also just been so incredibly strong on the back of, uh, you know, the, the positivity that we're hearing uh, around the U.S.-China trade talks. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the Fed, as we've discussed in, in previous shows, originally very, very dovish. Some of the the commentary that we've heard out of some of the Fed officials this week, you know, tending towards the more hawkish side. That also helping to firm up the dollar, and that number just just managing to yeah. break that that rally and what we look at is the dollar index which is uh, an index that uh, matches the the US dollar against uh, a basket of other international currencies and that finally just taking a bit of a breather.
1: Corporate news that caught your attention yesterday?
3: Uh, corporate news, yeah, I think the, the Sabanya, um, Sabanya numbers certainly were interesting. The Again, I think, another big surprise for, for market participants. So, so most people were expecting, uh, I mean, they were expecting the, the headline loss, but mm-hmm. uh, I think what shocked everyone was that, that the, in, in the commentary, Sabanya is actually now expecting headline earnings of around $0.65 uh, cents per share. Um, and that, uh, that is, I suppose, well, very different from what, what uh, market estimates are. So if we, if we look at the consensus estimate, uh, people were looking for a headline loss of about $0.07 cents per share. So yeah. just that that guidance was, was very surprising. And I think that's helped to. I mean, we, we've started to see Sabania rallying, uh, just at least the share price rallying. And that's, uh, I think, people getting a little bit more optimistic about the, the potential production. But then again, this is the same time that they'll be laying off uh, a lot of workers. So it makes the company more efficient, but it might make their labor negotiations a little bit more difficult if yeah. they're showing uh, very solid numbers.
1: Did Discam surprise you as well? News out of that front?
3: Uh, I didn't actually see the DISCAM news yesterday. It's not one that we're trading.
1: That's perfectly fine. Um, They came out saying that the labor action has uh, taken a toll uh, on the company. The strike led to longer delivery lead times. And some of the commentary that I was reading uh, from analysts that follow stock like DISCAM, uh, Keith McLachlan being one of them, saying that they actually did underperform even if you take – the labor action um, out of the equation and he's keen to see how it fares when the clicks numbers come out Mm. to, I suppose, compare the two. But news that dominated as well was what is happening at Woolworths with all the resignations and everybody just leaving. What do you make of the manner in which the news of everybody's departure was conveyed to the market?
3: I think it it's it, it was kind of standard practice so it was a little bit surprising just because uh, again uh you know, you you look at the the, the current management of David Jones. The, the, you know, it's now been a resi- You know, they've they've moved through John Dixon into into you know David Thomas into, and now we're looking for a new CEO in that business. It it doesn't strike you know a lot of confidence as well as the the two new um, uh, two new executives we saw saw resign on Monday. Mm-hmm. Uh, they actually stood, I believe it was in November, for re-election to, yeah. uh, to the board, and everyone and, and I mean you don't then resign three months later so it just it, it gives us the indication that something is very rotten inside that business yeah. and something has happened there's, there's corporate politics that play behind the scenes that maybe we're not not aware of uh, and that's certainly a, and I think investors these days after the likes of Steinhoff after the likes you know of EOH which was also in the news this, this week when there's smoke there's generally yeah. fire and as soon as you get these kind of early warning signs you see uh, investors and, and traders dumping stock because they at the moment we just assume the worst
1: Yeah, I think yesterday they lost their CFO, Ashley Gardner. So Mm -hmm. something really happening there. But uh, news that uh, you're going to be keeping an eye on for the rest of the day.
3: Uh, so, again, it's it's a little bit quieter in terms of economic numbers, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, I think later, later in the afternoon we're going to get um, uh, consumer sentiment numbers out of the U.S., which I think are, are going to certainly be interesting. Be nice, we, we're expecting consumer sentiment to weaken slightly, but uh, uh, it'll, we'll see how those play out and, and again, how that's going to affect, uh, I think, the, the overall picture of the, the U.S. economy, which is certainly the, it's still the driving force of, of global markets and, and our market as well.
1: All right, that's Gary Boyson, who'll still be with us throughout the show from Ren Swiss.
0: This is Classic Business Breakfast with Moneyweb. Arabile Goumede and Nastasia Aronsa on Classic 1027.
2: So many a time we've asked the uh, perhaps the, the question that I think is, is extremely difficult to answer, but one that must be asked nonetheless. We have constrained finances all across the board, whether it be on the SOE front, whether it be on the jobs front, whether it be on trying to boost South Africa's economy, get in investment and find a way to direct resources to programs with the greatest impact on things like poverty alleviation, job creation and even economic growth. How then do we we find ways to fix that solution? We've come up with many plans. We've hosted a number of summits. It's now about doing the actual work, working together, not just apart for a single goal. Sam Rowland, Economist at Econometrics, joining us on the line as we perhaps unpack how we can turn our constrained situation into one that uh, that we more than just contain, but really boost South Africa's economy. Sam, thank you so much for the time this morning. The President's address even yesterday, uh, just in the National Assembly in Parliament there, uh, really showing that indeed South Africa is in a tough space, can we actually get ourselves out of it?
4: Yeah, morning, morning Arubile. Uh, thanks for having me on today. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. And, and it's not just when we're in an economic uh, period of slow economic growth that we need to make tough choices. In any government fiscus, you need to achieve a balance between, uh, and especially in, in the case of South Africa, between uh, developmental uh, developmental roles such as and providing assistance to the poorest of the poor uh, in the forms of things like grants, social security, um, subsidized education and health. Then you also need to um, be able to spend on productive sectors of the economy, so engaging in investment, firstly in industries that are high growth potential, and you also need to spend on infrastructure that... Um, that will, will contribute towards improving growth in the economy. Now, how do we fund this? This is typically funded through tax revenue. So we also need to have a trade off to be able to grow the size of the tax base. And this is through creating jobs, um, growing the size of the labor force, and that brings in greater tax, ba- uh, greater tax revenue. The danger is that in our country, we've seen um, our tax re- tax base has kind of remained relatively stagnant over the past couple of years And as we've raised our tax rate, our tax revenue hasn't necessarily climbed at the same pace as that. And and so that just shows you that we are at a sort of turning point in how much tax, how much we can increase our taxes. So this places almost a stop on how much more we can bring in on that avenue. So we need to start thinking differently about where the money is coming from, either that, or we need to think differently about how we spend our money. And I think this is where we are uh, at this point in time today.
2: Yeah, you, you make note of how we need to, you know, spend our money. I, I listened to an analyst yesterday who said that the VAT increase should perhaps have even been 2%. Would that have even helped?
4: Uh, well, I think yeah, it's difficult to say. Um, we saw that the VAT, VAT increase has brought in a, a decent amount of, of revenues thus far. Um, and we've been lucky enough in that we've been able to cut um, cut spending to quite a degree over the first couple of months of government finances. So um, this this has helped alleviate some of the stress that rating agencies, rating agencies have said on the health of our fiscals. Now, I agree. I think perhaps 2% would have been more conservatively safe in that we would then have a slight, slightly bigger buffer against um, the shocks that we're now seeing in the form of ESCOM, the greater uh, need for uh, support that ESCOM has just requested means that now, you know, we need to now scramble to find the funds elsewhere, and government has said that it will be supporting ESCOM until it can um, stand on its own two feet. So, however, the danger, of is we know that the consumer, and especially towards the end of last year, the consumer was under and still is under a tremendous amount of strain. Um, we, if we just think of the increases in the petrol price, um, uh, which led to an increase in food inflation. And, and alongside that, uh, credit conditions for consumers are still very tough in today's economy. So we're trying to extract more value. And if, you, if you're if increasing the VAT rate, you, you're you e- extracting more tax revenue from across the entire economic spectrum. It's not just that you're taxing the rich to, yeah. to fund this. You're, you're taxing everyone. And yeah. the danger with this is, well, with a very constrained consumer, we, we'll lose out on consumption growth, which in itself is is one of the drivers of economic growth
2: sam let me quickly uh quote here from the president we are at a moment in our history where we need to make difficult choices we've known the troubles for at least the past decade surely those choices should have been made by now
4: um well i think the government and, and we've seen this in finance uh, budget speeches um successive budget speeches throughout the years and um, Starting with Mr. Franklin Nene all those years ago, and he said the emphasis and the need for belt tightening is now. Uh, and, and unfortunately, the idea how our government decided to fund to, to to go through these periods of downturns was to sort of push other spending out out into the outer years. So this is the equivalent of you know moving infrastructure project spending out into after years, and back then yeah. it would have been around 2019. So we're looking at it now. The danger is that the hope or the hope, well, the hope in, in this was that kicking the can down the road would allow the economy to get back on its feet to mm. a point that when we are now a few years down the line, um, our spending, our, our revenue would have been sufficient and we can then continue to spend on those projects that yeah. we pushed out with. Well, that's not necessarily the case now. Um, we're still in a precarious position. It means that we have to then push our investment in capital projects out further into the future and yeah. we know that this is then uh slows the economic growth because we're not repra- replacing our roads we're not replacing our rail network and our productive activities and um, then suffer sure. as a result of things like uh, difficulties in transporting goods across across the country
2: doesn't make it easy at all sam appreciate your time this morning sam Rowland, economist at econometrics it's dire whichever way you look at it and it needs to get fixed asap 721 Your
0: traffic Every morning, Arabile Gomede and Anastasia Arensa on Classic Business, Breakfast with Moneyweb.
1: 23 minutes after 7, the National Union of Mine Workers says that the unbundling of ESCOM announced by President Cyril Ramaphosa in his State of the Nation address will be an expensive exercise that pushes the state-owned power utility into further debt. And to elaborate on those statements uh, is Noom Deputy President Philip Vilakazi, who's on the line. Uh, Philip, thank you so much for your time. Why do you believe this will add further debt to the already existing 435 billion rand?
5: Thank you very much, uh, presenter. The experience is the best teacher. Immediately, you want to replace something that is existing. You shouldn't be theoretic. To be precise, we have got coal mines which exist because of existence of ESCOM at a very high rate we have got power stations where there are people accommodated there if you're talking generation distribution and uh, um, all these three parts the president spoke about you are clearly saying anybody present there is going to be affected and the 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 impact of that particular process to us as organized labor means We are going to see members or ordinary South Africans being thrown on the street while South Africa, as we speak now, it has got a very high rate of unemployment, especially on the side of the youth. We We are a recognized trade union in ESCOM for the mere fact that ESCOM does not have management. We only heard this issue from the state of the national address by the president. Because government is the main shareholder of ESCO. Now, whether you want to talk about renewable energy or not, this is a democratic South Africa or a constitutional democracy in South Africa, which, if there is an issue that impacts on other people, they must be given the respect they deserve. Be consulted for their views to be on the table, so that whatever you do, it doesn't become a one-man show. We right. want also to en- we want also to emphasize the fact that we are not immune for change. We do not want change that come as if it's a surprise. There are three legs of the labor relations act. Special matters for consultation is found in. Uh, Section 84 197 talks about transfer 189 talks to retrenchment none of the three we we, we can claim that we have a we have a notice to them by ESCOM. again president has duplicated the board of ESCOM by appointing another group of people calling them a team. very fortunately they invited us to a meeting, and I'm talking from the horse mouth because I represented the NUM in that particular task team. Those people's mandate is on a hurry. They are very fast to the extent they were saying, there is no way in which ESCOM can be assisted except if it is unbundled. And our position has been clear to say, in fact, who are you, wena as a task team? Because we are not employed by you. You are not even government even though you are appointed by the president, your, your terms of reference are confused and confusing because you're talking as if you are escort.
1: Philip, I have to come in here, right? So I I hear your concerns around uh, unemployment and uh, perhaps, you know, that staff might be let go. But can I take you back to when African Bank was basically on the brink of collapse and an immediate action had to be taken to separate the good bank from the bad bank. And the focus was on fixing the bad bank. And this is quite similar with uh, ESCOM. You have Generation, which is a much bigger business. And from an asset point of view, has, I suppose, it can survive on its own. It's transmission and distribution that is the problem. And I think splitting it into three allows everybody to see everything in a transparent manner. We can see where the problems are. But I want to know from your perspective and even from what you've been hearing from this task team and the current board and perhaps even the other experts, what are the solutions that we can implement now? Because beyond April, there might not be an ESCOM and there might not even be staff. And that is the worst case scenario.
5: Thank you very much. Your, your question is very crystal and clear. Look. Say, you know, I'm leading, or we are leading, because we lead as a collective. The immediate solution of ESCOM is to diagnose its real problem. The, the action that the president spoke about is not a diagnosis, it's a view. Because if it's a diagnosis, we were to get to know which one is giving the, 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 the structure a problem. You're talking about generation as a master of them all, but distribution, you said this distribution and what?
1: Distribution and transmission.
5: Yes, distribution and transmission. Now, let's, let, let us just look into this from a South African's point of view. You must understand that for the past decade, ESCOM had capacity to the extent, under the late Nelson Rolihlahla Mandela there was a project, called Maputo Corridor, a pipe that was to cross into Maputo to give those people electricity. And that particular plan even today, if you can visit your, 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 your archives, you will find this information. Marcelo Koko, when he was a, a CEO, he made it very clear. He refused to sign IPPs, citing an example to say, you can postpone IPPs with three years from 2018 because South Africa will still be having Resources that can generate and give electricity to these people, including business. The problem is management here. And people are turning a blind eye on this particular issue. Listen to this. How do you allow a department of government or a municipality to owe ESCOM for three months to the extent of the level where all municipalities are owing ESCOM? Where is management? What are these people doing on daily basis when they go to work? Look at the illegal connections that we do have. Look at the breaches that we do have. If we are saying this, yes and we are, let there be a diagnosis or a research, for right. lack of a better word, that will tell us what is the real problem. Whether mm. April there is no electricity or not, let us not rush a permanent
6: solution.
1: Philip, we are unfortunately running out of time. On Wednesday, uh, Finance Minister Tito Mboweni is going to deliver the budget speech, and hopefully we'll get an idea as to what the uh, situation will be with ESCOM in terms of funding. I'd definitely love to have you on the show on Thursday to get your feedback as to what you think uh, about uh, ministers' um, plan for ESCOM. But that is Philip Villagazi, who's the Deputy President at Noom. Time to have a look at news headlines.
0: Every morning, Arabile Goumede and Nastasia Aransa on Classic Business. Breakfast with MoneyWeb.
2: 600, six thousand six hundred six thousand six hundred and seventy jobs that's how many could be lost if uh Sibania stillwater launches the formal process of restructuring at least five of its unprofitable gold mines um sybania stillwater eyeing the, those job cuts in its gold production and this comes as uh uh they narrow their full year loss to uh one billion rand and looking to restructure those mines. Let's chat to Sibania Stillwater now. And Tabsila Pomo, his VP and head of stakeholder relations uh, from Sibanya Stillwater, joins us on the line now. Uh, Tabsila, thank you so much for the time. Let's detail exactly what has happened here. How did we get to this point? And uh, just share with us again, is it uh, in effect because of the strike with Amku or is that got no relation really to how things are faring right now?
7: Uh, good morning to you and your listeners and thank you for having me on your show. Um, the announcement we made yesterday uh, was that we want to commence with the Section 189 process, which is a consultative process on the proposed restructuring uh, and of, of our operations BITRIX 1 and DRIFONDIN Two, Six, Seven, and 8, where over 6,000 employees could be uh, are affected uh, but you will recall that a uh, Section 189 process is the commencement of the consultative process to look at retrenchment avoidance measures. And uh, Sibanya, we've had a similar process before, a year and a half ago, where we made an announcement, we went into a Section 189 process, and all those jobs were saved. So we are hopeful and are open uh, to, to working together with our stakeholders, in particular the unions, uh, to, to get into a process where we can uh, come up with tangible and, and, and sustainable retrenchment avoidance measures. And on the back of your question about is this related to the strike, it isn't. We have been indicating for the last year and a half, in fact, uh, since 2017, that these uh, operations are, are loss-making, and we have been working uh, with unions at a branch level in a process called Future Forum which are meetings that are constituted by operational management teams and and uh, branch-level union members to try to come up with uh, possibilities of of, of improving production, but also uh, ensuring that the operations are not loss-making. And unfortunately, uh, the outcomes of of those engagements have not yielded results. That, uh, That is why we have arrived at the decision that we have arrived today. We understand the impact this yeah. has on our employees, which is why we are hopeful that the sooner we can embark on, on this uh, consultative process, which will be facilitated by the CCMA, sure. we may be able to avoid uh, job losses uh, because the longer we keep this operation, they are threatening the viability of the other shafts in our gold
2: business. I, I must ask then, Tabsele, that, uh, you know, at the right at the beginning of your of answer, my, your response to me, you, you made note of how, you know, yes, the last time you announced something like this, you did manage to save the jobs. Why is it then something that we're so quick to do in announcing the potential to lose these jobs? And why not say that we are facing difficulty and we need an urgent plan right now, whereas don't you feel that this sort of spooks the market with immediate effect, whereas perhaps you could gradually work your way to this in finding a solution first before relaying this message?
7: Uh, as I indicated, we have actually started this process uh, internally with our union since 2017, and obviously the significant losses uh, we faced in, in, uh, in 2018 as a result of this operation following lots and lots of conversations and and consultations uh, within the future forum structure. We were then uh, put in a position where what we have engaged on has not worked out to an extent that we are now elevating this to a Section 189 process where we are contemplating uh, restructuring our business. So this conversation has been a long time coming. Uh, And our internal stakeholders, uh, and then we did even indicate in our report. Uh, in, our, uh, in our results uh, previously, that uh, some of these operations were operating below uh, acceptable levels of productivity. So it is not a new conversation. Uh, it is just that we've now elevated it uh, using a Section 189 process in terms of the LRA
2: yeah you you also have uh in in process the 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 purchase or possible purchase an all share bid for uh the platinum miner, Lonman, a process that of of course has stalled right because of an appeal by Amco. Would that still go ahead if 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 you were to then have this section one eight nine go through?
7: Yes, that process uh will proceed. You will remember that we've got uh, two divisions. we've got a gold business. And this uh, 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 announcement doesn't actually even affect the whole of our gold business. It is only affecting the five shafts uh, that I've spoken to in our gold business. So there are other uh, uh, shafts that will, will continue without being affected. And it doesn't at all impact on our platinum business.
2: Okay, and let's talk about uh, just future hopes and plans. Then, at this point, yes, you have this this ongoing situation and attempt to fix this situation. Um, if it if it were to get fixed, what is it that Sibanya would do differently in this case to ensure that a situation like this does not happen for yourselves and for employers, employees? Uh, you know, sort of in the near future or hopefully ever again. And also, how difficult has it been operating in South Africa's mining uh, sector, uh, particularly in the last two years? even though of late we've gotten the mining charter?
7: Look, I think there are a myriad of factors that affect this kind of situation. The economic situation, um, uh, cost of doing business, uh, labour issues. So I think what we could, and and in fact we proposed it in the previous uh, wage negotiations where we are saying that perhaps a social compact is what we need to be looking for where together with our employees we could work uh, towards a, a a process where we we could share in the pain of when when when, when the, in our business, but we could also share in the gain. But what that means is uh, we would work together to improve productivity level. We would probably consider shift arrangements that will assist uh, uh, the, the, the our business to 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 produce optimally. So we, we did all that we could, and that is why we embarked on the process on on, on future forum. But obviously, you need to appreciate the difficulties uh, of any business, not just our mining business, uh, in the economic context within which we are operating.
2: Yeah. Tapsile, appreciate your time this morning. Tapsile Pomo is VP and head of stakeholder relations at Sibanye-Stillwater. Will continue to track that story, of course, for you. Six thousand six hundred seventy jobs potentially could be lost at Sibanye-Stillwater's gold operations as it looks to restructure at least five of those unprofitable gold mines as well. Uh, Sibanye uh, did advise the market that its full-year loss would narrow to one billion rand for the 12 months to end December. Uh, from 4.4 billion rand a year earlier and it of course has also been hit by a three-month strike at its gold assets by amku the association of mine workers and construction union like i said we'll continue to track that story for you it's 7:40. let's get to your traffic
0: every morning arabile gomede and nastasia aronsa on classic business breakfast with Moneyweb.
1: time for our entrepreneurship feature and we're going to be talking to Tekani Ladima who is the co-founder of Nisa Finance which is an invoice financing platform that enables financiers to issue invoice backed loans to SMEs quickly and affordably by fully automating the application and invoice verification through ERP system integration. Takani, thank you so much for your time this morning. So let's start off with um, how the idea came about to do an invoice financing platform?
6: Uh, good morning, firstly, good morning to all your listeners. So basically NISA is a team made up of three founders, collectively with accounting, finance, material science, and computer science backgrounds. And we began because we realized that a lot of SMEs that supply large corporates and retailers such as your Pick and Pay, the Tiger Brand, etc., experience cash flow problems, which is due to the long payment terms post in, post performance of services. So and that we and we at least believe that SMEs having access to affordable finance is critical, especially in a growing economy like ours. Because SME growth leads to more job creation, decreases employment and increases GDP. So that's why we started.
1: Alright. So you all have interesting backgrounds. How did you meet?
6: Uh, we met in twenty sixteen at the University of Cape Town uh, we were all doing our first year. So we basically all met in raised. Funny enough.
1: <laughs> right. And the early days of the business, I mean, starting it off from the idea stage to whoever was going to implement the proposal and so on.
6: Yeah. So we were in ideation from about 2016 uh, and 2017. We went on a telecom incubator program. And on that incubator program, we basically went from ideation and we launched our first minimum viable product. And from there, we've just been doing a series of MGT tests, a few business model shifts, a few pilots here and there. But eventually, we we came across our repeatable and scalable business model. And that's what we're doing now in the inverse financing space. And in this inverse financing space, it currently exists in South Africa, so we didn't bring about inverse financing and over 25 billion land in South Africa. But the problem is most SMEs cannot afford to access it as the current cost of finance are high due to the manual process involved in it. Now at nisa we believe that our technology, like our ERP systems I like just spoke about earlier, given to financiers like your banks, your microfinanciers, can significantly drop the cost to inverse finance and this makes it more affordable for SMEs. And then they cannot access invoice financing. And it can lead to g d p growth uh job creation and decrease unemployment all
1: right what has been the feedback like since you launched uh this minimum viable product
6: um it's been It's been very successful. We've helped out a lot of uh businesses, particularly in Cape Town cause that's where we were based before we moved up to Johannesburg. um we've helped out guys in the space of uh techie services guys in retail. So it's been quite successful. Um, this year, we're just hoping to launch a few more. We have a few deals lined up with some corporates and retailers, so hoping to impact and help as many SMEs as we possibly can.
1: You seem to be doing well, but uh, entrepreneurship is not as glamorous as uh, it comes across. What were some of the challenges that you experienced?
6: Um, that is very true, actually. Um, so me, most of the problems that we financed were just Access to market. Uh, you know, just getting into the market, uh, having conversations with people, getting people to understand what you're doing and why you're doing it. Uh, raising seeding, around, um, seed investment rounds, just sleepless nights trying to make sure that your product actually exists. You're doing a lot of product market fit tests, speaking to customers, getting validation that your model really exists and it's not something that you're just inventing and building, and that there's a demand for it. So I think that's been the biggest problem that we've faced.
1: Right. And competition, um, is there anyone else doing something uh, like you? And how do you stay ahead and, you know, one step ahead in the game?
6: Um, well, currently in South Africa, there's no one really playing in our space. Yeah, there are a couple of guys playing in the English space, but um, they don't do what we do. So we, we basically automate and the application verification process. And we have like direct integrations with like you know, large corporates and retailers. And on top of that, we manage the repayment channel. So instead of the money, money when money is being paid back, instead of the money being going back to the SME, it now reroutes and goes back to the person who issued the finance and being the financier. So our edge to technology is what keeps us ahead of the, our competitors, but mainly most competitors come from um, the UK, Europe, but locally, there's no one really playing in our space because we're not in direct competition with any financial service provider. So we don't compete with banks. We don't compete with microfinanciers. We're just enablers in the market. So we sell our platform and our product financiers and banks for them to be able to execute their, their work and jobs more effectively and more efficiently.
1: Right. And in terms of the plans for this year or the next couple of years, what are you and the rest of the team working on?
6: Um, like I mentioned earlier, for the rest of the year, we're just launching as many MVPs as we possibly can. We're just piloting, um, finding as many uh, corporate leads as we possibly can, trying to get as much of our platform out there in the market as we possibly can, inf- impacting and influencing a lot of SMEs as we possibly can.
1: Right. Tekani, thank you so much for your time. That's Tekani Ledimu, who is the co founder of Nisa Finance.
0: Every morning, Arabile Gumede and Nastasia Aronsa on Classic Business Breakfast with MoneyWeb.
2: It's just gone 7.50. Let's uh, take a look at some news here making headlines as well right now. Uh, news just in, of course, is uh, Goldfields coming out with a set of earnings as well. Now that's their full year. They reviewed results for the year ended 31st December 2018. Things not looking too great on this front. If you take a look and uh, review some of the results they're coming through from them, Goldfields Limited is uh, announces a normalized profit from continuing operations. Of 27 million u.s dollars that's for the year ended december 2018 that's compared to a normalized profit of 154 million u.s dollars for the year ended december 2017 they did declare a dividend um I, I, so it was uh, payable then on 18th the 18th of march as well uh 40 cents per share that is uh, as well for the 2018 financial year the PGM space seems to be doing well. Gary Boyson, portfolio manager at Rand Swiss, but the gold sector seems to have gotten some sort of pummeling.
3: Yes, again, gold prices have been under an enormous amount of pressure and, and we're starting to see that feed through into the, the likes of gold fields. So what, I think one of the Uh, real benefits to to Sabanya is that they have now really shifted away from pure gold production and uh, you know just if you look at the PGA basket it's not so much platinum that's been the the driver of that but the palladium and other group metals that have have really appreciated platinum still very very subdued. So goldfield's obviously very very still still focused on, on, on gold the majority of it is it's, it's still a very much a gold company and uh, this is impacting results. So a lot of this was expected because uh, they, we did get uh, the, the, the fairly negative trading out, uh, update <coughs> earlier in Feb. But uh, overall, yeah, I think this uh, the stock might take a little bit of a hit on this
2: uh, market open. Yeah, and it's r- really not just this stock, right? A lot of these gold companies have really been been struggling of late. And, and you've seen that in either their trading updates or their results uh, as they put them forward. So it certainly hasn't been, uh, hasn't been a pretty time for them.
3: Yeah, so, so again, a lot of this, uh, the, the pain that's been taken was, uh, you know, was largely as a result of strike action at, at South Deep, which is uh, kind of the, the, the flagship South African mine.
2: Mm, yeah. All right. Certainly hurting there. Uh, another one of keen interest, and this is a company that just can't catch a break. Everything just seems to be going in the wrong direction for them. MTN stating that their CEO in Uganda, uh, Vim Valhelaput, if I'm saying that correctly, my apologies, has been deported from the country. MTN has been notified on the grounds of the for uh, of the grounds for the deportation, and is working hard to establish precise reasons for it. Uh, They are concerned as well about the developments and are engaging with authorities. As they say, their focus continues to be on delivering the best quality products and services, (coughs) etc., etc. But a whole CEO to be deported out of a country—that's—that's absolutely serious.
3: No, it's definitely serious and.
2: But again, you've got to look at uh, how
3: much negativity is priced into MTN share price. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, we've understand there's been issues in Uganda for a while. Um, It is, you know, we're just coming off the back of uh, kind of the settlement of the, the CBN litigation in Nigeria as well. So it's... It's a difficult company to value at this stage because if you actually look at the underlying earnings and the businesses, um, you have to agree that MTN is incredibly cheap, um, and there's a lot of risk that's being priced into the co- into the company. So when you see a, a like a headline like this, uh, you know you understand that there are problems in their country as well. I don't know if it's going to move the needle too much in terms of the share price. Uh, what I do think though is that uh, looking at at uh, underli- each underlying business and, and going into a deep dive of, of the of the company, uh, when we come. To 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 sort of the full year twenty eighteen results, uh, which will be released in March, I think we're going to get a very very positive surprise because the market is not expecting much. Um, we see uh, potentially a dividend of, of, of five rand a share coming out of MTN. Um, we see very solid solid EBIT uh, EBIT growth. Um, and I would say, yeah, I mean, our, our diluted headline earnings uh, estimate is going to be a, just just above 5 rand uh, a share, which is going to represent 183% year-on-year growth. So for us, we believe that MTN is coming right underneath, and I think you're going to be surprised when the results come out in March, but it's a company that is priced for failure. because It certainly be, looks that way. Because, and it's because of the, the continually bad news coming out of the difficult geographies mm. in which they operate.
2: So any any positivity is a sense of a win for MTN. It's also
3: for, for me and, and I, I really think that, this, that there's a compelling buy case for MTN at the moment is that it's also one of the most shorted stocks in our market. So mm. if we do get a positive set of results coming out in, in March you might see an unwind which we, we, traders will call a short squeeze yeah. where suddenly those short positions are forced to buy back uh, their script and and you get a, an, an enormous pop. So let's, let's, watch, let's watch for it in March when the MTN results come out. I think, uh, I think we're going to be very positively surprised.
2: I certainly hope so. It, it, it's, it's gone through the wars. Of <laughs> 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 One can definitely say that. And it may not even just be the South African market, but really across the board, whether it be in Iran, Uganda, Nigeria, all those difficult markets certainly have been ones that MTN has faltered through. So we'll see how things fa- uh, fare on that front.
1: I've got a fun fact, Yes, sir. but I'm worried that this might not apply to you because you don't drink alcohol. So Gary and I might be the only ones having to participate in this conversation. Hey, I'm, but keen, you to can y- I'm keen to look.
0: <laughs> show
2: I, you guys on <laughs> presenter. So, I do not drink either. <laughs> you see, presenter, you're the only one. You and Pete will do it. Not that. <laughs> it's fine.
1: So the Wall Street Journal has an article titled "How to Decode a Wordy Wine Label." So have you ever walked past? Well, I'll ask Gary this, uh, and perhaps yourself. I'm sure you've bought a bottle of wine for someone as a gift, right? Yes, no, maybe. I've just
2: had bottles of wine in my household. I don't think I've actually bought a bottle.
1: Okay, you may have seen these yes. kinds of uh, yes. things. So maybe the wine will have a name such as private reserve or hand-selected lots oh. or one of those to make yes. it sound a little more fancy and that kind of stuff. So this uh, the, um, the journalist who wrote this particular article has just discovered that in the U.S., as long as you stick to... Um, The basic rules on labeling that are dictated by the Alcohol and Tobacco Tax and Trade Bureau's rules, you can pretty much embellish and call things reserve, even though they may not necessarily be a reserve. It could just be a normal $13 bottle of wine. Um, And she's actually found something similar as well when it comes to countries like Argentina. They also tend to use um, words that are a little bit puffed up. And I'm curious then, after reading this article, I'd love to have a wine expert on the show to tell us what the basic terminology mean, like a private reserve. Like yeah. what went through all of that and how do I distinguish whether something is of good quality just about or giving not? getting your
2: best foot forward, I suppose, right? And just faking it till you make it I suppose as well <laughs> I, I don't know yeah because you get you get the, the, the
3: old platters guide and then you, you look at it and there's this very specific ways mm. the, 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 each word you think it's just oh well it's a nutty kind of cho- <laughs> chocolate overtones with a, but, but each of those words you know it, yeah. there, there's almost a spectrum of words yeah. that describe each one and it you know when you read the, that back label as you say I mean it's a very specific thing and, and when you see the wine experts as you say actually tasting this I mean they can tell you which this, this bottle You know, you you take off the labels, they'll say, oh, this bottle was, you know, it's a 1982 bottle
2: from this farm. I mean, it's unbelievable what they can do. This is all from grapes, I'm just saying. (laughs) I'm just saying. These are all just grapes that they've made into a million odd different variations so it's absolutely crazy what people can do actually uh, when you when you think about it
1: so yeah so I think that would be a fun discussion how do you know whether you're buying a good bottle of wine here even if you have a limited budget
2: yeah it would be interesting because why not just get a normal bottle of wine
1: I have my own theory that i don't Think applies to everyone else. I have my own mechanism of how mm-hmm. I decide. Okay, <laughs> so. we'll share that when we get the guest, <laughs> yeah. then, right? Yes.
2: Okay. Cool. Very quickly as well to to just close off. Here's a big one, and it does have that uh, impact South Africa somewhat? Airbus saying they're going to scrap production of their A380 Super Jumbo as sales begin to slump. They, of course, do have uh, some uh, exports of the A380 here in South Africa as well. The company will build 17 more of these four-engined engine 4 aircraft, uh, including 14 just for Emirates. So you can imagine just another three for somebody else. The other 14 are for, for Emirates. Uh, with the last one to be delivered then in 2021, they're done. Pretty much this was uh, meant to, you know, take over from the A, uh, what was it now? The 737, remember, because from Boeing, those were, those were flagships. And it seems that this has, however, uh, was, was keen to take that over. But now it seems to be uh, in the space of another shakeup. So instead, they're going to try to boost the new smaller A350 and A330neo, which will then come into effect as well. So we'll continue to see how things go for Airbus, an executive decision there by the, um, a uh, company as well. So yes, Gary is so excited. He gets <laughs> to just tell us the time <laughs> in a couple it's of the seconds. the best part of the He's show. so excited. <laughs> but folks, have a wonderful weekend. Thank you so much for joining us as well on Classic Business Breakfast with MoneyWeb. It's goodbye from myself, Aravi Lekumete, and from Nastasia Arendsa. Goodbye.
3: It's eight o'clock.